I wrote that for a long time, I thought my camera was my calling. And what I realized is that my camera was a tool that enabled me to fulfill that calling and that the tool I used or the instrument that I held could change, but that what I was created to do wasn't going to shift as easy as, you know, just one tool to the next. It was something deeply ingrained within me and my calling hadn't changed, but my way of achieving it had. Welcome to the Creative Legacy Podcast, a podcast to help creative entrepreneurs build their business while leading a life of intention, joy, and adventure. I'm Shawnee. And I'm Sarah. Today, we are going to be talking about making a transition into a new venture. Perhaps you just need a change and want to move on to something else, or what you're doing just doesn't fit your lifestyle currently, and you're ready to try something new. And today we have a special guest to talk about this. So please welcome Natalie Frank. Hi. Hi, ladies. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for being here, Natalie. We know you are super busy and full of adventures and awesome things going on in your life. And we just cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us and chat with our listeners. Oh, well, I'm honored. I truly am. Thanks for asking. Thank you. Well, I met Natalie, oh my goodness, how many years now? Three? Yeah, I think at least three years. Yeah. Through Rising Tide Society, which if you don't know what the Rising Tide Society is yet, we are going to educate you at some point because it is a fabulous outlet for creative entrepreneurs. But we met through the Rising Tide Society and I was just blown away by how selfless Natalie was and giving her time and her energy to make sure every creative feels welcome and feels like they have a place at the table and I was a little intimidating meeting her because she is just seems so awesome and she is so awesome but she was still so approachable and she gave me a big hug and got really emotional and then I got really emotional and it was just an immediate friendship and I'm so thankful for her and all she's done for me and creatives like me. Oh, well, I actually feel very mutually the same way about Shanae. I mean, if you if you followed Shanae's journey at any point, you know that she led the Green Bay chapter of Rising Tide for a very long time. I mean, she founded that chapter. She cultivated some extraordinary relationships. And we use her a lot as the example of like, what is possible when you want to cultivate community? Because she just gave so much of her heart and uh, always, always was pouring back into other people. And so very much mutually fangirling, I think, when when we just continue to build our friendship every single time that I met you. And again, it's just it's an honor to be a part of the new things that you're creating and the community and tribe that you're building here with Sarah. And you guys are just knocking it out of the park. That was such a sweet intro. And honestly, like, it's just inspiring for everybody to be able to look at what you guys are doing. So I'm excited and pumped yes, to be a part yes, of it. We are so excited to have you. And this is my first time talking with Natalie and having Shani here too, both of them, meeting them through Rising Tide and all that they have done has been just wonderful. They're both beautiful souls and I love it. Oh, well, you're beautiful too, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can we just do this every day? This is what the creative yes. world needs. It's just people cheering one another on and, and being sort of encouraging because how often does it just feel like the opposite? And 
we can also dive into that today too, of just how do we stay positive when we transition from one industry to the next? How do we continue to cultivate communities when we switch careers or if we're thinking of doing it, right? Does community transfer over? And this is an example right now, guys, in this room that you can truly be whatever you want to be. You can shift your niche focus in your industry or switch industries altogether. And it doesn't mean you have to lose your community or your connections. Exactly. And you're calling that we learned in an episode with the wonderful Karen Stott that your calling is your your strengths and your gifts. And that means whatever job you're doing, you can still have your calling, whether you switch your job, whether you take a, a break from working, you're still doing your calling. And that's what's really cool about no matter what you're doing, it is still powerful and impactful. You know, I actually wrote, oddly enough, in the blog post that I shared when I announced that I was shooting my last wedding as a full-time photographer. I still shoot weddings. I've got a couple this year, but as a full-time photographer. I wrote that for a long time, I thought my camera was my calling. And what I realized is that my camera was a tool that enabled me to fulfill that calling. Right. And that the tool I used or the instrument that I held could change, but that what I was created to do wasn't going to shift as easy as, you know, just one tool to the next. It was something deeply ingrained within me. And my calling hadn't changed, but my way of achieving it had. And it went from being photography and evolved into building community and working in the tech space. And I have no doubt that there will be a season where that changes yet again. And so it was a, a learning, I think, in that. And Karen is a beautiful example of somebody that has also made many transitions within her life and in the community she's led and the book that she's written and things like that. So she's she's a great example, too. I totally agree. So before we get into talking about all that beautiful transition and steps and how to do it correctly and then how to feel confident about the moves you're making, I just want our readers to learn a little bit more about you, Natalie, share a little bit about your dogs and Huey and all the fun stuff. Yeah, so I am a wedding photographer turned community builder. I grew up in a small town outside of D.C. called Annapolis, Maryland, and it's where I met my high school sweetheart, who's now my husband, Huey. And I photographed weddings there for eight years before creating the Rising Tide Society with my dear friends, Davy and Krista Jones and my husband. And launching Rising Tide sort of opened this new world for us about just understanding, like I mentioned, that you know, I, I cared so much about empowering people and I used my camera to do that for a long time. And then I learned I could do it through community as well. And so I ended up co-founding Rising Tide, helping to grow that community. Then we merged with HoneyBook. I ended up getting the opportunity to move to San Francisco and uh, continue leading community out here from San Francisco. In the last year, it's been I describe it like a roller coaster. It's been both the highest of highs. I've had the chance to watch this thing blossom and just pour my whole heart and soul into projects that have done crazy things like raise money to build a school in a third world country and, you know, work with charities I could only have dreamed of connecting with and seeing different creatives do amazing things, but also experienced a lot of low lows. I had a brain tumor that I had removed in November and I underwent surgery for that, which was um, just a huge just life lesson and and very fearful season that turned into being something that really changed my perspective on life and and really has shaped me in a lot of ways and so you know it's it's been quite uh an adventure over the last couple of years but that's sort of the high level of of who I am and and what ultimately my life looks like in this moment very cool i remember 
going through that, I remember you telling me about the surgery you're going to have to have and that we all got on the phone together and talked and we're like, I just want to let you know this is happening. And I just knew yeah. that this wasn't going to keep you down. It's Natalie Frank. You know, you're going <laughs> to keep going. It's going to, you're going to use this to build you up, to use it to help others. And that's what you've done in just this short amount of time. It's amazing to see well, thank you so much. Yeah, it definitely wasn't something I ever thought would happen. I mean, I, I was diagnosed with the brain tumor back when I was 22, but I didn't think surgery was going to be necessary. And in a lot of cases with the type of tumor that I had, it isn't necessary. People are able to either shrink it with medication or radiation or sometimes they don't even have to do anything. They just monitor it. And unfortunately, I'm one of the, the ones that, you know, surgery was the really, truly the best option for. And I'm grateful that, um, you know, over the last seven months, I've been able to bounce back almost entirely. Still some things I can't do and probably never will be able to um, because of just some complications from that surgery. But, you know, I, I'm living, I'm breathing. I am, you know, in a lot of ways getting a fresh start on certain projects and just grateful every single day that I get the chance to do what I love with people that I care about. That's awesome. I think it's wonderful that you've been able to kind of open up and and show your strength in this all through what you've gone through and their stories that you shared. And even the fact that it took you, or I don't know if you still can't, but drinking coffee, that that was the thing that you didn't like after surgery. I'm back to drinking coffee, thankfully. I know. Guys, everyone was really concerned about that. I'm telling you. Like, we were all worried about the brain recovery, but really the fear we had was, will she ever like coffee again? I don't know. But I did. I bounced back and I am finally drinking coffee again. I will say I don't love it as much as I used to. That I don't know if will ever change. It's partially because of uh, how they did the surgery. It impacts my taste and my smell. And so, you know, I like to say that I can smell now at about 80% of what I could before surgery. And it probably won't really improve much more than it is right now. So I think that's probably part of it. But it also means that I eat a lot of healthier foods now because I can't taste as well. So it all pretty much tastes the same. So a lot of kale in my current life, a lot of yams, a lot of garlic, um, although I've always liked garlic, but um, a lot of ginger and turmeric and other things that before I would kind of go, oh, I don't know if I like that now. I does it to me. It's all the same. So I'm going to make better choices. So I'm using that to it's my advantage. It's a gift now. <laughs> I'm looking at it, but that's it, right? You've got to look at everything as a gift, even even the tough parts, even the hard parts. Just I always am trying to find that silver lining. Can you tell us how, I mean, your personal story, how you knew it was time to transition into a new venture, and then maybe how other people would know if they're ready to sh- yeah. make that shift? Absolutely. Well, I'll take you guys back to kind of a vulnerable place. I it was it was about a year and a half before the idea of Rising Tide ever existed. And I went up to visit a good friend of mine from Penn who was working on Wall Street. She was getting ready to apply to Harvard Business School, um, which she ended up getting into. And we were meeting in this little coffee shop with Huey, myself, and, and her in, in New York. And you know, we were just talking about careers and about dreams and about what she was doing. And I had been photographing weddings at that point for, I believe, six full years. Um, And I just had this very strange feeling leaving that coffee date of, I wonder what else I could be doing. Because I loved where I was at. I absolutely loved photographing weddings. And it is such an incredible career. And it's a a beautiful, beautiful um, job to have. However, I couldn't 
stop feeling this very strange inkling in my heart of, you know, listening to my friend talk about these big dreams of her going and doing something brand new and feeling like, well, what about me? Um, Is there something brand new that I'm ever going to get to experience again? Or did I discover my career at 18 and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And not that there's anything wrong with that. I would have been perfectly happy, I think, staying and continuing to shoot weddings for the rest of my life. It's an amazing career. However, there was some little bit of me deep down inside, I think, that was questioning if there was more out there for me, if there was something different out there for me. And I think a lot of people ask that question of themselves. I I don't think it's just limited in the creative space, but I think, you know, especially those of us who are in this creative space, we got into doing something sort of risky, sort of different than the norm, sort of outside of, you know, most people's nine to five when even if you're working a nine to five, when they go home, they're watching Netflix. And for some people, they're going home and they're painting or they're going home and they're trying to learn how to, you know, become a photographer or something of that nature. There's something different about us. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a listener out there who loves the career that they have, but has always wondered, well, what if I wrote a book? Or what if I created a course? Or what if I, you know, sold everything and moved to Bermuda and became a snorkeling instructor? I don't know. I mean, the options out there are truly endless. And so I called my mom uh, on the train, the Amtrak train back from New York down to uh, Baltimore. And I just started crying. And I said to my mom, I said, you know, did I make a mistake by not going and getting a full-time job out of college? Did I lose my chance to know what it's like to work in a company? Am I ever going to get an opportunity to manage other people. I, that sounds weird, but I had always dreamt of, you know, mentoring and like really encouraging and and like watching somebody go from the beginning of their career and helping them to kind of blossom and I was like am I going to miss out on all these things that my friend is talking about and and wanting to to pursue and you know, I also think in my heart I knew that it wasn't um, comparison that was leading me to this conclusion, right? And that's something to be careful of too is I think we have a tendency sometimes as humans to watch what others do and want what they're doing rather than reflect and say, what do I really want? And is there something this person's bringing up within me that makes me feel like there's something different for my life? Um, but I knew where my heart was at and I knew that there was something more. Fast forward um, over the next year and a half, I'm still shooting weddings. I did 39 weddings the year we launched Rising Tide. That business is booming. I'm loving it, but still feeling that same question of what's next for me? Is there something different? And sure enough, Rising Tide sort of for me was that vehicle. It was it was my stepping stone. But on the outside, it looked pretty seamless. Uh, It looked like, oh, this one big thing blossomed and Natalie stepped right into that and stepped out of what she was doing before. But the truth is, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, it was a very internally painful transition. I placed a lot of my identity and a lot of my worth in being a photographer. People knew me as Natalie Frank, the photographer from Annapolis. That was who I was. And I I felt this strange loss, you know, really like almost mourning something that I had worked so hard to build for so long and feeling like, well, who am I if not a photographer? What is my worth if not to document photographs for other people? I worried that I would regret leaving it behind. I worried that I wouldn't be able to, you know, sustain my future if I set down one thing that had worked to financially support us and stepped into something new. There were a lot of fears and a lot of insecurities. And I think it's something you guys can understand and relate to because we feel it even when we're in our businesses. We question, are we our business or are the two separate uh, in a world where personal marketing becomes so integral to success? 
and I think, you know, for me, it was, it was truly learning that my worth and my value are not connected to my career at all. That at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether, you know, I have 10 people following what I'm doing in my hometown or 100,000 people following on Instagram or no one paying attention at all. My worth and my value are knit into the very fabric of who I am and have been that way since my moment of creation. And, you know, we talked about how your your job can change, but your calling can still sometimes remain the same or you know, your your career can pivot and your worth and your value aren't weighted in the accolades that other people give you or the way in which other people see you or the title next to your name, right? That is not your value. That is not your worth. And I think the biggest lesson I learned in transitioning was, was that precisely, that I could change and evolve and try new things and fail and stumble and, you know, really make a fool of myself. And all of that to say that at the end of the day, that sort of genuine, authentic me that lives within my soul doesn't change as a result of my external conditions or what title I have or what I'm doing uh, for my career. That's so true. And I've definitely felt that as a wedding photographer for seven years now, trying to take a step out of that into you know, creative education into having this podcast now, even as a rising tide leader as well, I led the group for so long. I really contemplated, is it time to step down? My heart is still very happy and I love it, but there's something here. It doesn't feel right. It feels like this time and people would ask, did something happen? And I just said, I just knew it was time. And and I had a moment of that, of am I, who am I if I'm not Shawnee Teske, Rising Tide Society leader, wedding photographer, you know, who am I? And it was this identity crisis. And this winter, I kind of had a little, not like shut down, but just had to reevaluate what I wanted with that. And I just realized that as long as I'm going out and doing my part, whatever that is, and I really love people and making sure people feel welcome and love and they can go after their dreams and life is short and it's so cliche. And people always say, you got to come up with better words because that is so cliche, but it's so true. And I know it so well. And I want other people to feel that too. But how do you say that as an identifier? I'm Shani Teske. I want people to know that life is short, you know? So your label started becoming who you are and Mm -hmm. it wasn't your who is not your do. That's my what my mom always says to me when I'm struggling, that your who you are is not wrapped up in, in what you do. You mm. can still have your calling. I love that. I think it's so interesting that when we are introducing ourselves, the first thing we always go to is our job title. Like, I, I'm Sarah. I'm a graphic designer. I'm Shawnee. I'm a wedding photographer. And that's not who we are. It's what we do and it's how we express ourselves. And it doesn't define us. <laughs> Yes. I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine here in the Bay Area, and he said he'd moved from uh, Colorado. And I said, what's the biggest difference between Colorado and San Francisco? And he says, you want to know the truth? It's how people introduce themselves. Mm. And I kind of stepped back. I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, in San Francisco, it says, hey, you know, my name is Natalie, and I am, insert job title here, or I work at, insert cool startup here. He said, in Colorado, the first question you ask somebody when you meet them isn't who, you know, what they, sort of where they work, right? 
it's uh, what they do on the weekend. Mm. And I found this fascinating, but he'll say like, yeah, I love hiking. I'm really into, you know, we go up, we go hiking on the weekends, or I'm a backpacker, or I'm a biker, I'm a camper, I'm, you know, a flautist, but it's not career-based. The identifiers for sort of like who somebody wants to be seen as aren't necessarily connected to their job title. Um, Again, we're still using identifiers all the same. We're still using kind of a framework for how we want to be perceived. But it was eye-opening to me because it made me think, you're right. We really do put specific parameters around how we intend for the world to see us. And very often, we place our weight and value in what those parameters say. So in this case, we're talking about being a photographer, being a certain type of creative. Uh, In other ways, it could be how many followers somebody has saying they're an influencer using a word like that, or it could be involved in how much money somebody makes. So I've heard, I was just listening to a podcast this morning. It's like self-made millionaire, you know, and, and there's also parameters there where it's relating to somebody's financial situation. But I think that's where we have a lot of power, don't we? We educate the world around us on how we want to be perceived. I want to say that again. We educate the world around us on how we want to be perceived, which means if we want the world around us to think about us as whatever that parameter is, we're going to put it in our Instagram bio. We're going to put it on our Twitter account. We're going to be using it in conversation at networking events. Um, and, And we often forget that we control that narrative. We are in charge of that destiny, so to speak. We can change at any time how we describe ourselves or how we you know, empower others to see us. And I think that we should kind of claim that more often. And, and I, I've tried to do it a little bit in recent months. You know, At first, I spent so much time not really wanting to ever share about uh, my diagnosis, about having a brain tumor. And when it became very clear that I had to, I stepped into a place where I said, no, you know what? I, I want to own this. I think it's important that people know that I've a chronic illness that I've gone through a lot over the last five years and I'm still going through things because it gives them permission to show up with their baggage too. It gives them the opportunity to show up and say, wow, well, I struggle with mental health or I struggle with this autoimmune disease. I have a little sister who had a brain tumor. I have done XYZ. And they're not walking through the doors with this idea of, oh, here's an Ivy League grad who you know sold a company at 20 26, uh, moved to San Francisco and, you know, is now working in tech as, as basically a leader in her company, right? That Those are parameters that the world pushes me to encourage. But what I really want someone to come to the door with is this is a small town girl that had a big dream that cares a hell of a lot about the people that she serves. She's been through an immense amount, but she still believes that there is something good to this world and there is something good to this life. Because when I can come at it from that perspective, then we can really make progress. When somebody looks at you on a pedestal or they put you on that pedestal, uh, you can't really get a lot accomplished. I, I believe that you know we all have this opportunity to look at our platforms as stages from which we can lift others onto, right? We can raise them up onto our platforms. We can support other people and empower and encourage them. But it's very hard to do that when we create these these very significant rifts and distances. And I think that you know sometimes as we think about our identity we need to think about the words we use to describe ourselves and craft an identity for ourselves that invites people in if that's our intention right that's so beautiful it's about not just letting the world tell you what you are you can control it you can control what you're putting out there and what you want it to be absolutely so i want to hear a little bit about your experience mm-hmm. the from going from one business to another, kind of tell us a little bit more step-by-step step how that happened. If people are in that mindset of 
they want to go from this to this. Kind of tell us about your experience with that. Yes. So I think, you know, one of the the biggest parts of that experience is the learning that uh, what you are what you are doing right now, what you are learning right now in this current business will definitely translate in some respects to whatever the next venture is or whatever the next adventure is, right? Not even a venture, an adventure even. You know, if you go back to the corporate world, I've had friends that have gone from entrepreneurship to tech and then they've gone back or um, have done things like that. You can take what you're learning now and apply it uh, to, to any adventure. But I think the experience of also recognizing that every new step is going to require quite a bit of stumbling was the biggest takeaway that I had. I was equipped to be a wedding photographer. I had built a successful business and I I had learned the ins and outs of that specific career. However, leading community was very different. And I made a lot of mistakes early on. And I still make mistakes because this is brand new to me. I am navigating this with the best of intentions, but very little knowledge. And so the learning curve was very, very steep uh, in, in sort of learning how to manage large groups of people, learning how to uh, build a moderation team in you know a very, uh, very tense online climate that we live in nowadays, how to ensure that people felt safe having conversations, how to build and, and work towards inclusive communities uh, you know, in a world that is also very divided. And I made many, many mistakes in all of those pursuits and, and trying to do my best to bring that uh, to, to fruition. But Again, I think it was the the lesson that my one of my mentors actually taught me where she said, you know, and I I want to almost tattoo this on myself because it, it's kind of become something I cling to. It is, you know, that we don't need our leaders to be perfect. We need them to have integrity and there is a difference. And I think that there's a lot of freedom in that statement because it it gave me permission to fail. It gave me permission to look like an idiot in front of many, many people, right, to make mistakes, but to do my best and to ensure that I always did them from a place of honesty and integrity. Didn't mean I wasn't going to make the mistakes. Let me tell you, I made a lot. Um, But it, it does mean that I always did it from the right place. And I knew exactly why I was doing what I was doing. And I always brought it back to that purpose. And you know, even today, I, Shana and I have actually talked about this, I think in New Orleans. I said, you know, the minute that I truly in my heart feel like I'm no longer living into that purpose, I will go do something else. And that day will come. I mean, you know, we talked about transitions and I want to just give people permission and know that it's okay to lay something down. Like it's okay to say I've done the best I can and I've given it my all and now it's time for me to move on to something else. I mean, like, again, I, I think Shana and I have even talked about this too. You know, specifically even with she built an extraordinary community in Green Bay and now has empowered other leaders to rise up and now they're leading that group and she will always be a part of the fabric of that community just because she's pursuing new things now it doesn't change the the fact that she's done extraordinary work in that space and that she is so loved uh, you know by by everybody involved in that community and so I think that it's important for all of us to know that when we pursue something, there might come a day where we decide it's no longer what we want to do. And that's okay. That That's a beautiful, powerful thing. And sometimes our, our roads shift. I look at my co-founders, Davey and Krista. They have done extraordinary things since leaving the running of Rising Tide. They've built an amazing business. They're, you know, Davey's launched his own podcast. They've now welcomed a beautiful son into the world. Their lives have just grown and blossomed in such extraordinary ways 
and they took a different path. And I, I think that for all of us, we have to be willing and open to the idea of taking that different path. And the biggest learning I think I've taken out of my experience is the failure aspect and that you're going to fail when you try something new many, many times, but just not to be afraid of it, to know that as long as you're coming back to that place of integrity and taking learnings along the way and listening to that criticism and keeping an open mind when people have feedback for you, especially when it comes from a good place, you know, you have this ability to grow and to mold sort of your future in a really unique way. You know, I, I can't really think of specific tactical or tangible things because it kind of comes back to, you know, going from being a photographer where I was shooting and every hour I put in was dollars that I made versus the community, which when we built the community, it was never meant to be a business. It was a passion project that exploded and, and therefore needed a sustainable path to monetization. Just two very different models. But I think that that for me is the underlying learning that I think, you know, is, is probably the most important for me to share. In making that transition from photography to being more active in the community building, what steps did you have to take to move from one to the other? Hmm. Oh, well, I mean, I think if I'm going back almost to last year at this time, because that's really where I think that transition became very public. I, I had been making it slowly behind the scenes, little steps like, you know, stopped accepting new wedding contracts, started creating uh, new form template responses to refer business to other photographers, um, started increasing my speaking engagements, decreasing my weddings making those very specific and deliberate steps to move my source of income from one thing to obviously being full-time working for HoneyBook and Rising Tide now. Um, you know, Outside of that, I think it also involved just really thinking about the communication methods of how I was talking with friends of mine in the industry, being open with them, like, oh, you know, now I, I do this. This is what my life looks like. Here's how I'm working in the day-to-day. -day. I also, you know, from a communication standpoint, we launched a vlog. This is a very specific example. That vlog launch, and it ran for six months. We vlogged, um, we vlogged almost every day, but it really ended up being, I think, about three days a week total that we'd put out a, an episode of the vlog, the video blog on YouTube. It's still there if you guys ever want to go watch it. But we did that intentionally because the pain I experienced was how do I communicate going from a world that my audience knows very well, which is me being a solopreneur, to a world that they do not understand, which is me coming into an office every day. And it's the same me, but it's a very different setting. And I felt like there was this loss of transparency in the relationship because it was hard for me to articulate what I did for a living and what my life looked like. But I leveraged video and I used video as a way to allow people to literally come into meetings with me. And we shared stuff that we probably never should have shared. I mean, like, proprietary stuff that the company is working on. But, you know, they, they let me do it, thank goodness. And uh, with the vlog, it gave people this way to see into my world. And so I think, you know, a big step there is the communication and transparency and vulnerability in that and not being afraid to say, hey, I'm going to be trying this new thing. Hey, I'm stepping into a new role. Hey, here's what my team looks like now. And it looks very different. You know, just like one of the learnings I had with sharing about my brain tumor, I held that privately for so many years out of fear. You know, I was so afraid that people would judge me or would, you know, not want to work with me. Clients wouldn't book me. I was afraid that it would become the only piece of my identity that people knew. And instead of being the photographer from Annapolis, I'd be, oh, that poor photographer with a brain tumor. And I would trade their admiration and respect for pity. And I was so afraid of that. 
But the learning was that by opening up and being honest, I didn't trade their respect for pity. Instead, that respect was amplified by the ability for me to be more honest and more vulnerable with my audience. And the same goes for you making a transition. If you're thinking about adding something new to your career path or changing lanes or experimenting in a new space or niching into something different, you know, being willing to be open first with those closest to you. And then thinking about it in terms of concentric rings around you, so starting with your family and your immediate friends, getting feedback from them, then making maybe phone calls to industry peers and colleagues, hey, what do you think about this? This is the route I'm going to go. I'm going to start doing this. Or I really have wanted to do this for a long time. Do I have your support? Will you encourage me in this? Again, that's where community comes in. Working externally and communicating that message and then maybe even throwing in something super public like a blog post or a vlog or, you know, talking about it on on a podcast or creating something that gives you that vehicle to communicate. That is is a key pillar, I think, in in just building that that strong and very sturdy framework from which you can operate as a multi-passionate person that has different things that you care about. Because I've learned – I changed lanes many times. I've run a wedding blog. I've been a wedding photographer. I now work in tech, and my audience has actually remained fairly much the same group of humans. I've just worked on communicating with them and attaching them to my heart and not to my job title. And I think that that's something that you know everyone has the opportunity to do. I think every step and every path is different with transitioning, but I love that core piece is that if you communicate, if you're open about what you're doing, then you're going to not necessarily get there faster, but it's going to be a smoother ride of people will understand what's happening. And I love that you said you can be vulnerable and you can share and you can kind of let people know where you're at. And I find that it's really helpful to see that because you start seeing whether it's photographers that now have launched, oh, and now I'm doing education. Now I'm doing this other blog. Now I'm doing this. It just starts getting confusing because they were never open about sharing or they were never, they just launched a thing and they never let their audience know that they were making that shift or that was on their heart or it just happened. So it kind of goes back to what you had talked about where it's that comparison where you kind of see it and then you launch it to fit in with what is going on with, do you think that's normal? You think that's the next step? But is it on your heart? Is it something you want to do? Is it that transition that you want to make? And being really open with your friends, your family, and then your audience really helps share what that your message really is. And they want to be on a journey with you. Right. If you're really cultivating an audience, you know, they want to be on this journey with you. They want to be able to walk alongside you and know what you're working on and know what you're going through. They get tired of the curation. They get tired of the perfect you know, PR strategy copy that aligns with each launch. Like they don't want that. What they want to know is that their friend's winning, that their friend's succeeding and that they're cheering them on in the process. And I really believe that. And I think if we look at our audiences as humans and not as numbers, that starts to become a better approach. Something both of you guys do. It's something that, you know, I really strive to do, which is look at each individual as if they are a friend. They're not a follower, they're a friend. And how do you talk to a friend? You know, how do you share with them what you're going through, what you're launching, what you're working on? If you can think of it from that perspective, especially for those of us who are small business owners and are solopreneurs, you know, we really become our brand in a lot of ways. Think about that audience as as real human beings that care about what you're working on and not just a group of numbers that you want to convert to customers. If you can really hone in on the humans 
on the other side of that screen, I think that, you know, you'll find those deep relationships that will transcend one career or another or one launch or another because they're in your corner for a reason and they genuinely care about what you're doing. And it's why, for example, when I found out that these amazing women were launching this podcast, it was like, secret, like, please let me on. I want to be able to share from, you know, the rooftops about this project because, you know, there's nothing like even before they asked me to be on, there was nothing in it for me, but the satisfaction of knowing that two extraordinary humans were succeeding in this world. And that meant a lot to me. And I've followed along on, on their journeys and will continue to for that. And I think, you know, thinking about how we feel about the people that we really care about online, especially how that, that feeling of loyalty and, and just genuine desire for them to win. If we can build audiences that feel the same way about our businesses and our brands, we're, we're in a really good place. Yeah, that's perfect of its friendship, its relationships like that. So it kind of goes into the next question then of friends and past clients that are asking yeah. you to do work and you're not in that space anymore. You don't have that job anymore. What do you do with that? What do you do with past clients that are looking for more work from you as a photographer? And then how do you get new clients and your job is a little different. Maybe you're not looking at on the clients or things like that, but maybe if you're making a transition from, you know, photography to education or, or you talked about speaking, you know, how do right. you, how do you deal with past clients and then how do you find new clients in your new position? So it's all about building a transition plan. And this is something that I had where I kind of took a step back and I said, okay, I need, I need to transition out of this and I need to transition into this. So in transitioning out, um, this is a great place where community over competition can thrive. And that is saying, I'm no longer going to take weddings. So who are the top five photographers in this area that can represent my brand name well, that my clients will love, that people who still – I still get – wedding inquiries, even though my website is so clearly not a wedding photographer, the SEO that I've built over eight years with these different venues in the Chesapeake area are so strong that I still get people asking. And what's really great is I have beautiful template response that links to the top photographers that had been a part of my community that I want to support their businesses. And I, I give like a little bit of different information about each of them. And I send potential clients their way and existing clients that I've worked with in the past uh, their way as well with a little custom recommendation. If I know there was something that, you know, personality wise would be great with another photographer, I will connect them. So that's my transition out plan. I also emailed all of the venues that I worked with. I emailed a lot of the wedding planners that I worked with frequently. And I said, hey, like, this is a real thing. Replace me on your preferred vendor list with X. She's amazing. He's amazing. They really deserve a spot on this list. I'm going to be sending a lot of my business their way. Trying to kind of almost pave my transition out as a way to help other people to transition into things that maybe they didn't get the chance to be a part of, or now there's one more spot open, right? And looking at that as a way of leaving a good legacy. We talk about creative legacies. That's my creative legacy um, in my hometown. And then on the flip side, transitioning in, you know, it's building a very st strategic plan. I knew I wanted to speak more, so I started pitching myself to podcasts. I started actually um, signing up for something called HARO requests, H A R O. It's help a report out. So these are reporters for, you know, the New York Times and Bustle and news and different news organizations that and, and publications that need sources. They'll, you know, ping and I want to be increasing my publicity. And so in the last six months, I've been on NPR, uh, New York Times, Entrepreneur, Forbes, Bustle, like doing things that I needed to do to tee up this next season. 
And one thing I had always wanted to do was write a book. So in addition to those things, I knew that in order to write a book, I had to be you know, doing these X, Y, Z, these six things to build my platform and establish relationships with the right people. And so I started doing that as well. And that was transitioning into something new and just replacing the time I spent doing the old things with the time spent doing the new things. And like I said, you'll fail along the way and that's normal and you will be starting in a lot of ways from the bottom again and that's humbling, but but it's good. It's so good and so healthy, especially if you're someone that has like reached a certain you know point in, in your industry and now you're transitioning into a whole new industry. You are starting from the bottom. So <laughs> like, you know, remember what it took to get to where you were and, and how you had to reach out to people with cold calls and cold emails and try to make, you know, new friends and, and just not be afraid to look like a fool because you might. But that was it. It was a transition out, transition in sort of plan that I set up. And then it was just charging forward and not being afraid of rejection, not being afraid of being the new girl, not being afraid of starting from the bottom again. That's beautiful. It's You can't expect it just to, because you've had success with one business that, okay, all my following is going to come over here and I'm going to be successful. And I found exactly. that I opened up a consignment shop with my mom and I kind of looked at her like, why isn't this just booming? Why aren't we just selling everything out the door? You know, and I realized we have to start all over. I can't kind of like coast on my photography and use all of that success and followers and friends and relationships and just, oh, plop it in a new business. Here you go. I should be successful. You have to start over. Yeah, absolutely. And there are things you'll be able to pull from one thing to another, but most of it you won't. And that's kind of the learning. I mean, I think, for instance, like I care a lot now about, you know, reputation and brand because I've learned that while certain things will change, your reputation, it, it stays, it sticks with you. And so, you know, while we can't bring necessarily all of our old contacts from one career to another, or while, you know, some equity that we've built, whether it's social equity or some kind of social currency that we've acquired in one space may not perfectly translate, your reputation will. So maybe that's the one thing to, to always remember is, you know, that that's earned. It can't be bought. It's, I always say that about loyalty and about mobilizing an audience. I say, you know, you can buy ads and you can pay for conversion, but a true brand evangelist cannot be bought. That is trust that is earned. And so that might be the one thing that I think transcends is, is that reputation and that that loyalty by, by certain people. But you're absolutely right. It doesn't mean that you'll succeed on the second business just because you did on the first. And actually, sometimes I think we go into a second business or a career change with preconceived notions because of things that have succeeded and worked for us. And that can blind us a little bit. So it helps to remain sort of data-driven Ooh, data-driven and focused and, um, you know, just keep learning and keep evolving and, and not being afraid of that. So you've had your plan and you've kind of worked through this transition, but you still have a passion for photography. So what are you doing to make sure that you're still fulfilling that while in your new industry? Yes. So I think for me, it's been, it's looked a lot more like, you know, photographing more of my life, photographing sessions for other photographers pro bono. I'm shooting two weddings this year for other photographers and not getting paid a dollar. And I'm so excited because it's my way to gift and like bless these people that have done so much for me over the last eight years. And so it's been finding ways to weave it into my daily life. And remember what I mentioned, when you do acquire skills in a different business and you transition, you get to take those skills with you. Meaning there are things that I get to do here at HoneyBook with photography, creative direction, creative strategy that I only get to do because of what I've done as a photographer and the things I've learned and my aesthetic style as a photographer and how it enables me to, to navigate that, that world. So you know, I pick up a camera, I shoot from time to time, 
I try very, very hard to keep people as a part of that too, because I love photographing other people. And, you know, in this next season, I'm, I'm working on a book and in that book, it's going to have a lot of photographs. And so I'm going to get this chance to kind of step up my professional game in a different way. And it won't be with weddings, but it will be, you know, with other creatives and documenting um, their stories too. So I'm really excited about that. We're excited for it too. We can't wait to see it. And we just love seeing your photos no matter what you're doing, whether it's your travels or, you know, pictures of you and Huey together. It's so cute. We just just love seeing that. And and you can still tell your passion for it is there. So we're glad you're still doing it. And I think that's a great way for other people to know that you can still love this career that you had. Even though you're transitioning, you can still do it. It doesn't have to be a career base, you can still love it. There's a reason you started in the first place and you can still have that be a part of your life. Absolutely. Any other advice you have for creatives that are looking to make a change, whether it's all creatives or just specifically photographers trying to move out of photography? Because I think especially photographers, we, I know when I started, I was like, why are people cutting back? Why? I want all the weddings. Give me all the things. And then seven years in, I'm like, oh, I understand, you know, you just start feeling like there's, there's a a, more of a world out there besides weddings, even though weddings are beautiful and I love it. What is your advice? Any, anything you'd like to share? Yes. uh, Biggest advice is to look at where everyone's running and run a different way. I think we have a tendency to follow the current on these things and say, oh, everyone's doing this thing. I need to do this thing. I've got to do this thing. If I've learned one thing in the last year, you know, especially from a career standpoint, it's, you know, pulling back and choosing my own path has been the most rewarding, yes, the hardest, but the most rewarding thing I could have ever done. I thought when I got into the industry that I had to shoot weddings like somebody else. I thought I had to create workshops like somebody else. I thought I had to do all these things like these other women that I loved and I still love and they're great friends of mine because that was the benchmark for success that they set. So therefore, I felt this obligation to be just like them. And the most powerful thing happened when instead of chasing their dreams, I really started to chase my own. And it really separated me from the pack in a lot of ways. And, you know, also opened doors for me that I don't think would have opened otherwise. And yet I think that had I been afraid to try something new and different and run a different way, I never would have experienced any of it. So my advice would be don't be afraid to try something totally new. Don't be afraid to look at other industries outside of the creative space, outside of photography. See what their leaders are doing. Are they writing books? Are they doing TED Talks? Are they creating different types of content? Are they vlogging? Are like, what are these different things that are happening outside of the bubble that you currently are in? And how could you potentially leverage your strengths to try something brand new and really innovative and take your own spin on something that's not being done in your space? That's what I'd encourage you to do. Try to be different. Try to find ways to separate yourself in this very saturated market and very saturated world that are unique to the gifts that you have, not the gifts that other people have. And just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to fail at it. Don't be afraid to look like a fool at it. Don't be afraid that someone's going to laugh at you or tease you or criticize you or say that you're stupid for thinking that you're anything more than just a insert thing here because you're more than just anything, right? You are so much more. You are a dynamic human being. And I think we oftentimes get afraid of what other people will think or afraid of what the people we love will think of us. And we allow that to dictate our direction and dictate our career or our choices. 
And let me tell you, there are a lot of people that thought I was an idiot for suggesting that community over competition could ever be a thing. I spent the first year of Rising Tide fighting the battle of whether this mantra, this mentality could even exist. Now it's very accepted within my world by a lot of people that they can cultivate this reality. It's hard. It's not easy. But we strive to. And my battles are elsewhere. There are people that said, you know, you're going to regret not shooting weddings anymore. This is the biggest mistake you've ever made. You've worked eight years to build a business that brings in a quarter of a million dollars every year and you're about to go accept a salary for far less than that. This is a huge mistake. Like, I hope you know you're making a mistake. And they're right. I make less now than I did as a wedding photographer, but I wake up every day and I do exactly what I'm called and created to do. And I love every second of it. And I get to travel in ways I never got to travel. And with my brain surgery, it gave me health insurance in a really critical moment of my life. I don't think that was an accident timing wise. I believe in in the power of that. And so, you know, if I had listened to those voices that had told me why I wasn't good enough or why I was making a terrible mistake when I was following my heart and following my vision, I really would have missed out on a heck of a lot of life and a lot of beautiful experiences and relationships that I now have as a result. I just would encourage you to not be afraid and to truly take risks because Shani said it and she's so right. Life is so short and we get one chance to make this work. You know, we really get one chance and you, you don't want to be sitting on the other side of a desk with a doctor telling you you have a brain tumor and realize that you didn't do the things you wanted to do with your life. Don't wait until that moment when you question your your choices. Like make choices right now, like tomorrow's your last day and you've got to live with with every ounce of gusto and love and grace for others that you, you have inside of you. Don't hold on to things that others say that are negative. Let it go. Kill it with kindness and move forward. That is my like – and I'm out. That is what I've got. That is like – that is my biggest advice yes, for you. Yeah, that is ugh, so many goosebumps while that was happening. I just – you can feel it, feel it going through and you put it perfectly. And I, that's just the best way to end this. That is the most beautiful advice. And yeah, it was a, it was a Natalie Frank mic drop moment. There's a lot of those. And I'm always left like awestruck after you start saying something. I'm like, how does she know? This is what I'm thinking. This is beautiful. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, I'm so honored. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for being yes, here. Thank you. And then where can people find you, Natalie, online? Yeah, so the best place, I would say, if you want to connect personally, just go to at Natalie Frank on Instagram or NatalieFrank.com. And Frank has an E at the end. Um, everyone always forgets that. And it, yeah, it's pronounced Frank. But if you call me Frankie, we're still friends. Don't worry about it. Happens all the time. Also, though, if you're thinking about a community and you want to get plugged in and you just want to find people that will support you and you know share this idea of community over competition, I highly recommend getting plugged into your local Rising Tide chapter. We have over 400 of them now, and they're all led by extraordinary creatives like Shane, who you know really want to do good in the world. So you can just go to at Rising Tide Society on Instagram or honeybook.com slash Rising Tide, get plugged in and find a group near you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Natalie. Thank you for having me. Yay. 